God is so awesome. I admitted to you all last week, and this is not the message, but like being vulnerable, so um, here we go. Um, I had said last week how I had found myself being frustrated because the Lord was speaking through other people, (laughs) and I thought it was going to cramp my style. And I had told you how the Lord showed me through my wife that like what Rosie was giving and Heather was giving, and I might be missing some people, but people were frank, that it was truth. And that there was something wrong with me desiring to be the only dispenser of truth that day, that there was something sick, toxic about that. And she said it with far more flowery language, and she's far more loving, and she's getting really good at correcting me. <laughs> so I didn't feel condemned at all. I was able to preach and effectively move last week after getting corrected. But I, I just, I love that that could be something I could receive. And then Will could give what he gave. And I'm like, that fits perfect. And I could appreciate it more this week because of what I learned last week. I always knew God could use other people. Like, I don't want you to confuse that. Like, it's not like I just realized prophecy exists. Like, that's not, that's not what we're saying. I'm not a cessationalist. I believe in prophecy. Like, I know that God can speak. I'm not, I just like hearing my own voice, people. And I'll be the first preacher that ever acknowledges that sickness. I enjoy my, I enjoy me. I like me. Well, thank you, sis. So, like, I like me. So I, I'm like, man, I want, I want to hear me, and I want to hear Rosie. But what Rosie had to say was good. And so I just, I thank you all for being obedient last week, and I thank my wife for being obedient last week, because it allows me to then appreciate Will being obedient this week. And I was sitting in front of Pat. I just gave her a big bear hug, because I'm always bear hugging Pat. Um, hopefully I didn't hurt anything. Like, okay, I'm always aggressively hugging Pat. She's like, I just, just hurt my shoulder yesterday, and Donovan's all gripping me up. And then Will says, so what names have you received? Like, what names of God are you accepting? What has he revealed about himself? Which is like straight out of this outline, so thanks. And he says it, and I'm together, I'm composed. I'm moving stuff in my outline still. So if you saw me back there, I was just moving stuff in my outline. And then, Pat, you said healer, and who else said healer? Okay. And you both said healer, and I just started bawling. Hmm. Okay, let's take this off now. That's, that's pointless. I started bawling because, and this is not part of the message, and I apologize, Yesterday, I celebrated one, a one-year anniversary from donating my kidney. And my health has been amazing, but I was fearful that it might not have been. I was concerned <clears throat> that when I did that, when I made that decision, that at some point it would catch up to me. I was giving away my ability to filter my own blood. it's a strange thing to do organ donation because you're helping somebody, but you're making yourself weaker as a result. 
Like, I can give money away and I can gain that money back. I can't get a kidney back. I can give away some of my time, and while I can't get my time back, God can make some more time happen somewhere else where maybe something gets freed up, something ends early. And, but I can't get a kidney back until I need one donated, hopefully never. So I'm so grateful because when you said healing, it's like Donovan, he's healing you every day because the kidneys' jobs are to heal through filtration. They get rid of things that are toxic, things you've consumed too much of that are floating your bloodstream. It removes it. Anything that's not supposed to be there, it gets rid of it. And God has bitten my kidney. He was already that before I did the donation, but he's been that for me and the recipient. And so yesterday, <clears throat> I don't think I reflected as much on all of this because I was busy. We had two vendor shows. We had stuff to do. And you get busy. So sometimes you're so busy, you don't reflect on the goodness of God. But when you both said healing, that hit different. That hit different. So, Will, I'm so grateful for your question. And sis, I'm so grateful that y'all shared because it hit different. It's like, God, you are my filtration. Oh, man. So as I say during my admissions presentations, I'm trying to get my composure back, and also hashtag men can cry. Um, <laughs> essential message for Grizzle Teddy. <laughs> See, I'm coming back to myself. As I talk during my admissions presentations, I will always tell the audiences that listen to me, the families that are listening, I'm probably not going to get through my PowerPoint because I digress a lot. And I always tell them, but whatever you didn't get in the PowerPoint, it's in your folder. So just look at that. <laughs> what I'm giving you, I think, is more important. And so we may not get through all this sermon, and that's okay. That wasn't what we came here for. We came here to reflect on the goodness of God. We came to recognize that all of his ways, all the, all the ways in which he shows his goodness, whether it be through provision or through protection or through healing, they're consistent with the fact that he's always good. And if he stopped being good, he'd be a liar. And if he's a liar, then, well, that's a problem. That's a problem. So anything that was said, any names that you've accepted him as having, recognize he will always earn those names. He will always walk in those names. So if you say he's healer, he's healer even when the things hurt that often hurt. He's healer when you have a pain that is unfamiliar, a new pain that might happen. He's healer when there's nothing going on at all. He's always healer. He's constant in all of his ways. Hebrews 13, 8, we talked about it last week. It was an anchoring where we said that he is the same what? And if he stops being that, he is now inconsistent. You would not want to worship a God who's inconsistent. You follow people who think they're gods on social media and they're inconsistent. You're fans of athletes and movie stars and they're inconsistent. But you wouldn't want to have faith in a God who's inconsistent. 
would ruin everything. Would absolutely ruin everything. The atheist would have reason to not believe if God was inconsistent. The agnostic would have reason to be confused if God were inconsistent. God's constant. He ain't changing. If you don't like what he's revealing about himself right now, you're never going to like it because he's not changing it. If you don't like him being a healer, if you don't like the fact that he loves other people the way he loves you, because I think we all can get down, we can get down with the fact that God loves us, (laughs) but he also loves your enemies. If you don't like that he's constant in that way, it's never going to change. He likes the people you hate. Felicia and I were with a friend yesterday. I won't say her name, Fee. Fee told me not to use anybody's names. I'll just use my wife's name. But Felicia and I were with somebody yesterday who said at least five times that I can remember in a two-hour conversation how they hated somebody. I hate this person. I hate that person. And I know that that person doesn't know the Lord or at least doesn't spend regular time with the Lord. And so I didn't bother correcting it because we have all these other prerequisite things we need to discuss before I can talk about you saying you hate people. Until she recognizes that the Lord loves her relentlessly. There's no point. Arresting that mouth that I'm wasting my time. And too often, I would argue we do that with our friends and family that are unsaved is we're trying to correct behavior, but we're not here to correct behavior. We're here to be image bearers. When people start to get a glimpse of what the Father is like through the Son, and they see how we operate through the Spirit, they'll they'll desire it. It's craveable. I think the world is looking. Scripture even says creation is looking, longing for the sons of God. See us when we look like daddy. So we got to stop correcting behavior. And I didn't attempt to. But that person kept saying they hated somebody, and it's because they don't know the father loves them. So because they don't know the father loves them, then they don't know that the father loves the people they hate. And thus they hate them. You don't have grounds or justification to hate anybody. I don't care how they vote. You don't have grounds to hate anybody. I don't care what their skin looks like. You don't have grounds to hate anybody. I don't care what gender they think they are. Not agreeing with anything. Not saying anything's okay. We've justified, even in the church, hating people because of the fact that we don't understand that he's constant in his way of love, even for the people we disagree with even for the people who mistreat us, even for our enemies, quote unquote. He loves them. So if you don't like how constant he is in his ways, walk away now. Because you're not going to enjoy the rest of your relationship with the Lord. I promise you. You're only going to enjoy him when you recognize he's always that way. Not just on Sunday. Now, I love that Will also was told to to say what he said because we mentioned last week in the constant message that Abraham and Hezekiah and Peter 
all recognized that the things they learned about the Lord were constant. Now, in a rush, I didn't get to talk about this much, so I'll just take Abraham, because we don't have time for me to go through all three in, in earnest. But Abraham, he's pulled out of his land. And he's shown that God is faithful and a provider, and that he was given somewhere to be, an inheritance. And then he hears from the Lord, you will have descendants, though him and his wife had no children. You will have descendants as numerous as the stars, as numerous as the, the speckles of sand on a beach. Like you will have it, or grains of sand on a beach. You'll have this. And he got a son. And so he says, God's faithful. He's a provider. Wow. And I'm skipping over some stuff because there's, again, so much we can talk about with Abraham's life. His nephew is kidnapped, people. His nephew is kidnapped. Lot and a whole bunch of his servants are taken. And Abraham receives another you know, instance of God's faithfulness because they were victorious in battle in rescuing his family member. We skip over that. We skip over all of these instances where God says, I'm constant in all of my ways. So Abraham saw in multiple instances before he ever has to go on the top of a mountain to sacrifice his son, he knew God was faithful. It wasn't like he just realized God was Jireh then. It's just that's when scripture records that he said that that's his name. But I think he was seeing that his name was Jireh way before then. So then when he recognizes it, if he looks back, if he reflects, if you reflect on all of God's ways that you've learned about, you'll see that there's this stream of revelation where he showed you he was that way before. You just became aware of it. He didn't start getting into the providing business today. He didn't start being a healer or a protector today. He's always been that way. But when we reflect on his goodness, when we reflect on all the things he has brought us through, we see it. Which is why scripture writers will say, I was once young, but now I'm old. And I have never seen the righteous forsaken, nor their seed begging for bread. That's the type of person who has seen the constancy of his ways. And then can say, there's been some bad times, there's been some moments, but I've never seen the children of God forsaken, ever. Now think back, there's probably some moments in your life where you thought you were pretty forsaken. I've had them. There's some moments where you're down, where you're like, God cannot be operating at full capacity right now. Because if he is, then geez, oh man, this is rough. God's on power-saving mode, right? Like, like he's, the, the color's not on the screen, man. He's not running at full capacity because this is rough. He was. But in hindsight, you say, God was never forsaking me. Because as we talked about before, reviewing Bob's series, God can teach us in the midst of trial and test. So then we look back and we go, wait a minute. He, I was in a trial, that was happening. I didn't imagine the pain or the fear or the anxiety. I wasn't imagining the stressor. But wow, didn't God reveal something to me in that season? Oh, so he had a plan that whole time. Oh, there was a purpose for that. Oh, he never forsook, he never forsook me. 
they've never been forsaken. You see how that comes with time. It comes with experience. And we talked about how we don't have to be retired. We don't have to have a terminal degree. We don't have to be in our 70s or 80s. We don't have to remember Woodstock. Because we talked about this, right? Remember I used Zoe as an example that we could think because it takes time to realize God's faithfulness that one has to be old to do that. Not true. Not true. You can reflect on the last week and see God's constancy. It's just the older you are, the more you can look back on. But for some, raise your hand if you're retired. Don't actually do that. For some, you all got friends your age who still don't know the faithfulness of God. So we know it's not chronological. This is not an age thing because we got 80-year-olds who are still as stubborn as mules and do not know that God is faithful, good, kind, protector, provider, sovereign. So age ain't doing it. It's not. But the longer we've had relationship with him, we see that he's been revealing things the whole time. He's been teaching us what he's like the whole time, and it is a wonderful thing. I'm grateful for his constancy because the minute he stops filtering, I'm in trouble. I'm grateful that he is healing my body even when I forget to ask him to do so. It's more poignant on anniversary days. Feel that incision. But even when I'm forgetting, he's filtering. When I'm forgetting, he's healing. When you're forgetting, he's providing. When, he's, when you're forgetting, he's protecting. When you're forgetting, he's loving. He's constant in all of his ways. I could just keep saying that and that would be good. But today is about you, people. Today is about consistency. So today's message is consistent. Now, we talked about God being constant and not him being consistent because he's not gonna stop. He's always been that way. The reason why I don't call us constant is because we, through him, have the ability to change. And when we don't yield to him, we have the ability to change back. We have the ability to be inconsistent, so we have to know that he's inviting us to consistency in this life. In the next, when sin is finally abolished, and this earth has passed away, we will know constancy as well. But right now, the Lord is inviting us into consistency. He's saying, child, I want you to be consistently walking in my ways. Not consistently being good. Not consistently being church-like. Because our idea of good far drops below the acceptable limit of what he desires from us. Our idea of being good is based on other people's failures more often than not. So when we think we're a good person, we're usually reflecting on people around us, and that is what is influencing us saying, I'm a good person. I pay my taxes. I don't curse. I don't go over five miles above the speed limit. My friend goes 10. I only go five. 
So we're usually comparing ourselves to very poor examples and then saying we're good. But the Father is saying, I'm inviting you to be consistently operating in my ways. And how many of you remember that the theme that the Lord gave the elders this year was that we are to be walking in whose ways? His ways. Not the ways you think are good and acceptable. Right? See, Romans 12, 1 and 2 doesn't say, Pat, be good compared to your cousins. Right? It says, in view of his mercy, in view of that recognition of his constancy, because his mercy is also constant. In view of his mercy, offer up your bodies as what? Living sacrifices. Holy, pleasing, acceptable unto God. And be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might know what? His good his pleasing, and his perfect will. I can sub out will for ways, and it would still work. When he has transformed my mind, when he's transformed me by the renewing of my mind, I'll start to see his ways. I'll know that they're good and pleasing and perfect, and I'll no longer accept my idea of good, pleasing, and perfect any longer. It won't do. It won't do. I have a standard, but once I know his, if I'm a child of God, my standard will no longer do. My compromise is no longer acceptable. I throw away those childish things and I say, I want his ways because I recognize their good, pleasing, and perfect aspects. I recognize what they are, so I want them. So he's inviting us into this consistency. It's said this way in Ephesians chapter 5, starting with verse 1 and 2. It says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. So when Romans says, be a living sacrifice, Alan, why can we get that instruction and that be okay? That seems like a big ask. Christ did it first. And then he gave you his spirit so that you could do it. So he's not asking you to walk in consistency using your ability. It'd be insufficient. Alan's dope. Alan's amazing. He's one of my favorite humans. I think he's great. But he can't meet God's standard by himself. Impossible. He'll fail every time. Andrea, you are brilliant. I know you know the word. You can't follow it without him. You can't. Your husband thinks you're amazing. He loves you. But you can't be like Christ without Christ. And that's okay. Because he gives us himself. He says, I've set this standard that sounds crazy. And it almost seems unfair that he would set such a high standard. But then he says, I'm inviting you to be consistent in my ways because I'm going to be constantly with you. So, so consistency is possible because of his constancy. I'll say that again. 
Consistency by you is possible because of his constancy. He is constantly in you. So because he's always there, you can operate at a higher level than what is possible with you alone. For man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are what? <sighs> Including meeting his standard. Including walking in his way. You can't do it by yourself. And there's a lot of pressure when you think you can. Media team, you don't have to pull this up. This is one of those reference passages. But Matthew 5.48 says, Be ye perfect as your Father above is perfect, or as your Heavenly Father is perfect. That always bothered me. I've had whole debates with people about it. Can you be perfect? Can you really? And then some people will give us a pass, but they'll say, well, that's not really perfect. It means holy, like set apart. So can you be holy? Can you be set apart? You can't do that either. That sounds easier than perfect, right? Because perfect is like zero mistakes. But then you look at the Hebrew or you look at the Greek and you say, okay, well, it's not really perfect like the way we understand it, like unblemished. It means like set apart. It's like I can be set apart like on Sundays. I can be different when the elders are around. Heck, I didn't curse in front of my parents until I became an adult. I was good at it. I would be cursing, like me and my friends, not to glorify cursing, but we'd be walking from school and we would be cussing like sailors. And there was a Baptist church on 3rd and Chew on my way home. And as soon as we got within the shadow of that church, all of a sudden it was like, Mother, holy are you, Lord. Holy are you. What? Because that was my standard. Don't do bad things in front of Christians. And as I got older, it was in college, do bad things with Christians. But, <laughs> but his ways are higher and we cannot reach them without him. So as we see that he's constant in all of his ways and we see that he's constantly with us, we realize our standard's no longer acceptable. It's no longer okay for me to walk around cursing all the time, but then by a church, when I get to its perimeter, when I get to the area where the church owns the land, I stop cursing. That's no longer acceptable when I recognize he's always with me. Because now Alan and Carol don't have to be with me for me to stop cursing. Now Holy Spirit's with me and I shouldn't be using the mouth he gave me or the air he gave me talking like that. All the Christians who do bad things in the shadows, say amen. No, don't, 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 don't. Better stop. <laughs> you better stop. When we recognize he's always with us, the standard goes up. When we recognize he's always with us, the expectation goes up. Not the pressure. Not the concern of failing. Some of us walk around with that. The expectations go up, but also the support has gone up. The support has matched the need. I need him in order to be what he wants me to be. And he says, I will give you of my spirit. I'm going to give you exactly what you need. You're not deficient in any way. So when we don't meet his standards, because we didn't want to. Good old free will. When I'm not consistent in his ways, I didn't want to be. Anybody feel like they don't have what they need? Come see me afterwards. 
if it feels like this message hurts at all because you're not being consistent, it should. And it's okay for the Lord to break certain things in us like our, our standard. I want him to break your standard. It's not good enough. I want him to break my standard. It's not good enough. So if it hurts, he's breaking something you didn't need anyway. Your standard wasn't good enough. But you can meet his. You can be consistent. This is freeing. This is a beautiful thing because he's saying, I've given you all you need to be what I've called you to be. You're my child. You got me flowing through you. Everything that you are, I've made you, Josh Williams. You're not like Gary. You're like the father. Now, sometimes you behave in such a way and you want to blame it on your parents. But you're choosing to not be like your actual father. And as soon as you decide, I want to be consistent, you can. Because he's giving you what you need. Not outing you, I'm just saying. If you want to be consistent or fill in the blank, it don't have to be Josh Williams. He's just who I can see because I'm wearing my glasses, not my contacts. But whoever's sitting in the back row who I can't see really well, understand. Fill in your name right here. Stop blaming your parents for how you're acting. It's you. Stop blaming your environment. I know this is going against how we understand social development, but it's you. Because you can change. Because if you say, I am a child of the Most High God, you now have different DNA. You got different blood, baby. You can act different. You don't have to act like your culture any longer. If I'm angry, it's not because I'm Trinorican. If you're angry, it's not because you're Italian. If you're angry, it's not because you're Indian. It's because you're you. Meet a higher standard. No condemnation. If it hurts, it's conviction. Don't confuse the two. I say this in love. He says this in love. He wants us to be more consistent. Because when we are, we can change the world. We can lead people to him when we're consistent. When we're inconsistent, the world starts to judge God because of our inconsistency. How many of you have said, I can't believe in a God because of how the church functions? How many of you have been a part of a conversation like that? And you're scratching your head going, no, but that's not what God's like. But they see his people like that. That's who they can see physically. They see us. So when we're inconsistent, there's a lot more at stake than just our behavior that day. Our reputation. His reputation's at stake. Now, thank God he's not changing based on what people think about him. But I still don't want the world to think less of God because of me. And again, don't feel any pressure because he's with you. But I don't want him to, I don't want anybody to think less of God because of me. I don't want anybody to think less of God because of you. I want them to see how wonderful the Lord is because they see how wonderful his children are because his children are consistent in their ways as they try to follow his ways with his indwelling presence alongside. We can do it because he is there. And if you don't believe that, and if you're feeling the pressure, because I can see how anything I'm saying right now would cause that, I want you to hop over to... Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. And we don't have time to read the whole thing now, but please, 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 
because I know we oftentimes will give homework passages and we'll say, hey, check this out. It's really good for you. Please read this this week. Psalm 139 is not long. It's 24 verses. I'm starting at the end. So you already read the first two or technically the last two. 22 verses to read. But it says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Sounds scary. Do I want God to know my heart? Try me and know my anxious thoughts. Woo. Do I really want him to know my thoughts? He knows them whether I want him to anyway. But verse 24. And see if there be any hurtful way in me. Hurtful to who? And lead me in the everlasting way. He'll lead us. I'm not asking you to do anything by yourself. I would never do that. As I present to you that he has a higher standard and that he's asking you, or not asking, he's commanding you to be consistent in this higher standard, understand he's going to lead you in the everlasting way. That's the beautiful thing about this year. Any way of God you've learned and then have been exhorted to walk in, he's leading you into it. You can't do it on your own. I'm not asking you to. Bob, have you asked anybody to walk in the ways of God on their own? Alan, do you remember doing that? Judah's not here to speak for himself, so I'll just say it. Judah didn't. And if you want to fact check me, there's a YouTube account, right? And it's, it's uh, the word of... <laughs> I told you I was going to mention it again. Is that not enough encouragement? Let's go to this. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 through 18 if you weren't encouraged enough by Psalms. So he's going to lead us in all of his ways. But here it says, but whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For context, when Moses first comes down from the mountain, having received the law of God, he was shining so bright from the holiness of God that he wore a veil because he was messing people up looking shiny, right? And so he comes down with this veil, even though that was eventually going to fade away, to protect their insecurities of seeing the holiness of God. It was way too much for them to take in. And so the writer of this passage says earlier that people are still approaching the text with a veil over their heart. That they still can't see the truth of the gospel. They still can't see what God is actually after because they still have a veiled heart. So going back to verse 16, but whenever a person turns to the Lord, what will happen? Oh, say it like you see it. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, what will happen? Yeah, this is freeing, people. Because when I looked at Matthew 5:48 before, I felt dirty. But that wasn't what the scripture was intended to do. I felt a pressure for a standard that I couldn't meet. And I've even argued that maybe perfection isn't possible. Or actually, take that back. The person I was arguing with, Josh, you know, and we'll talk after service about it. But the person I was arguing with, um, they were saying perfection was impossible. And I was still like holy rolling at that point. So uh, holy rolling meaning I thought I was righteous and like better than other people. So he was saying perfection was impossible. And I'm like, you're so wrong because you could do anything in Christ Jesus. I didn't really believe it, though. Sometimes you could argue on behalf of God, but you're not actually accomplishing anything because you don't really 
know that truth for yourself? And so I was saying I could be perfect at that time in this argument with this person who you won't hear the name of. And I didn't really believe it. But it's because when I was seeing Matthew 5:48, there was a veil over my heart. If you don't ask the Lord to reveal it, you're not going to understand it on your own. There's no amount of Bible reading that's going to do it for you unless he reveals himself. Judah's mentioned before that when we approach Scripture, we need to ask him to open our eyes to it properly to see exactly what he has to say. This is a true thing. Don't take this like any other book. This is not just literature when you open up Scripture. You need him to reveal it because you're approaching it through your English lens and you don't have an understanding of Hebrew and Greek. And even if you did, you still wouldn't get it as much as he needs you to get it. The Bible scholars still don't get it. The Pharisees and the Sadducees didn't get it. How you have see at the end of your name and you don't see? Because they had a veil over their heart. Verse 17 says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with unveiled face, now that sounds so much better, right? Now that you understand what that means. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. You're being transformed. You're being transformed in a per, to a person who can operate in his ways. You're being transformed into someone who will look like him. So when I say that the meaning or the chapter or title of this meeting, the message, blah, blah, when I say the title of this message is consistent, Rosie, I'm not saying you have to be consistent by yourself. I'm saying he's transforming you in such a way that you will be consistent that I'll expect that Rosie is the same on July 17th as she's going to be on July 21st. You'll be, you'll be consistent because you have met with regularly the constant God. And if you meet with the constant God on a regular basis, you will be consistent because you'll no longer desire your standard. You'll no longer desire your ways. Your ways will stop being as attractive and desiring I had it explained this way with something that's not as holy. I had it explained this way with kefir water. Anybody familiar with kefir? Or kombucha? Maybe, no? no? Nobody drinks healthy stuff? Okay. Okay, well, kombucha, kombucha is live cultures, okay, that is put into tea, and you drink it, and it gets rid of some of the bad bacteria in your stomach and promotes more propagation of the good bacteria in your stomach. Water kefir works the same way, except instead of using tea, it uses spring water. So I was introduced to this at one of the Ligonier Country Markets a few weeks ago. And the woman was swearing to me, hey, you should try this water kefir. And Felicia and I got samples, and (laughs) 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 it was a bad first reaction. So this is gross. Smells and tastes like vinegar, because it is. (laughs) It's disgusting. But part of the reason why it was disgusting to me at the time was I was familiar with, used to, comfortable with, in love with sugar. So I couldn't desire the ways of the kefir because I desired the ways of the meadows, (laughs) right? 
But as I went home with these three mason jars, because I traded a bottle of beard oil for three, bottle, three jars of kefir, I'm like, now I gotta drink it. I gave up product for this. <laughs> this is serious, people. And so I would drink the kefir in the living room, and I'd look at Felicia, hey, do you want any? She's like, mm-mm, mm-mm, don't give me that. And I finished two jars already. <laughs> Kind of shameful because it's been six weeks. But I finished two jars so far. And the taste of water kefir is growing on me and in me. <laughs> Live cultures. I'm starting to like it because I'm being trained in a new way of drinking. I'm starting to desire things that are good for me. Part of God filtering my blood is God is also teaching me not to consume the things that would make my blood unhealthy to begin with. So he's making me healthy, not just in the fact that he's healing me, but he's preventing me from hurting myself. God is a healer. That means a lot. There's a lot that's encompassed in that. There's so much more to discover. And so he's training me to desire something else. So he'll transform you as well, where he's going to teach you that your ways aren't as tasty as you thought they were. You thought you needed dessert every day. You don't. And you'll stumble. I told myself I wasn't going to have dessert during the week. <laughs> I had six hand cookies three days in a row, and it was wonderful. They're, they're chocolate chip cookies, my God. If, if you needed evidence that there is a God in heaven, a God, right? Like, like the God of Abraham is your God. If you want to know, six hand cookies on 8th Street, no. He'll teach you to desire other things. Your ways won't be as attractive. Your voice, remember where we started, right? I prefer my voice. He will teach you to appreciate how he'll use the other children in the family. How he'll use the other children in the family. He'll teach you to desire to hear his voice so much that you don't care if it doesn't come from you. He did it with me in the matter of a week. So there's no fear that should be coming from this message. No angst, no concern of the fact that I can't reach the standard of God. I can't walk in his ways. That is a lie from Satan. You can, you will, as you reflect on the constant nature of the Lord, you will walk in his ways. As you reflect on his goodness, you'll start to be more good. As you reflect on his provision, you'll want to provide things to other people and won't hoard them even though they're talking about a recession, you'll still be generous. You'll still be kind. You'll still care about others because you know that's what he's like. And eventually, like water kefir, you'll start to desire God's ways more than your own. And you'll be transformed. Final story and then we're done. Is that I was at the doctor's office this week and I think this is why the anniversary really hit me. I was with my primary care physician. Um, and the primary care physician was not a part of the surgical team when I had my organ removed. Primary care physician's in Indiana, and that happened in Pittsburgh. So they're not really talking. And so the primary care physician asked me some more details about that story. And um, it was cool because when he asked me about what transpired last year, he wanted to have a better understanding, a firmer grasp. He had a medical student, somebody that was in um, med school right now, not currently in residency, but in med school, was with my PCP. And they were doing rounds together. 
And so he asked me to tell him about the story. He's like, how did you come to the decision to donate an organ? Like, how did you get there? And so I told him the story, and I gave him the abridged version, but I don't leave God out of it. Like, the short version still has to have God in it, just like the long version has God in it. So I'm talking to my doctor about the Lord. Like, you asked me. You, you opened that gate, brother. I was only here for a cough. Like, <laughs> you did that to yourself. <laughs> Shouldn't have asked me a question. So he says, tell me how you came to that decision. And I talked to him about the whole process, how I had boldly said, you won't die on my watch. And then very promptly became a punk and didn't get tested for three months. I had told him about how I feared that I wouldn't be healthy enough because in the past I had been sick frequently. Sniffles and allergies and asthma, oh my. So I was like, I'm not going to be eligible. I'm not going to be healthy enough. And that turn, turns out I'm an exact match and I'm totally healthy and I find out from the surgeon, my kidney's really pink. So I got a really pink kidney, okay? And so I'm telling him all of this story, and after hearing all of this, he says, I study the Torah, and I know Elohim, and yet I don't know if I would do that. I don't know if I would trust him enough to donate an organ. I said, I see how you can get there because I, I was there. But I explained to him that the reason why I was able to do it and the reason why you're able to walk in his ways, the reason why we're able to do spectacular things to a world that sees everything that's godly as spectacular or miraculous, the reason why we're able to do it is because God invites us to operate in his ways and he's going to get the thing done whether you help or not. My recipient would have been healed whether I stepped up or not. God simply said, Donovan, would you like to participate in my salvific work, in my healing work? Do you want to help? If you do, you, you're allowed to. I'll let you help on this one, son. And I said, yes. So exactly how I just explained it to you, I explained it to him. And his response was, paraphrase, the Father sent Jesus. And Jesus was a perfect picture of the Father. And mind you, the medical student's listening going, what is going on? Why aren't we talking about his vitals? He just got his blood work done yesterday. Why aren't we talking about the results? Like the med students probably weirded out. Like we're having a whole conversation. And the PCP says, Elohim sent the Son. And the Son was a perfect image of him. And he shows how great the Father's love is for us in that he died and he rose. And that he was willing. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> in the doctor's office, tripping. I mean, like, goosebumps now, and I'm reflecting on it. So you can imagine how big the goosebumps were then. They almost tested me thinking I had something wrong with me. It was just goosebumps. And so he's saying that's how we know that he's like the Father. And that's how we know what the Father is like is because of what Jesus did, right? So he says this, and then he goes, and you risked death for your friend. I said, huh. So then I say to him, well, Scripture does say, greater love hath no man than this, and a man laid down his life for his friend. But I, with a veiled heart, always looked at that passage as I had to actually physically die for someone. I imagined the only way I could actually operate in a love like that, I would have to jump in front of a bullet or a car or something, and then they'd be like, Donovan really loved them. He really, he's really a man of love. But that's not what it's saying. To lay down your life for a friend could mean that you're just being more humble. 
that you're being more patient. Sometimes you're like, they're getting on my last nerve. I can't stand them. I hate them. To lay down you for them is a perfect kind of love. So the doctor recognizes this because he says, I'm not looking at that passage as veiled. And he says, you were operating like Jesus. You know what he was essentially saying? I was being consistent in his ways. Now, I'm not saying that to big myself up. Please, I was hesitant to bring up this story, but I just thought it was so wild that in a week where I'm preparing to tell you about consistency and how God desires it and how the world could benefit from it, this doctor, who I don't know where he stands, he says he knows Elohim. We didn't get to talk in great detail. I don't know what he knows. But he says he reads the Torah, so we're going to follow up with that. And I don't normally call it the Torah. I know what it means. I get it. I dig the Pentateuch too. I just don't normally call it the Torah. So I don't know where he stands on things. But he knew enough to know that Jesus reflected the Father perfectly, that Jesus shows us who the Father is like, and he could look at what I did, and he could say, that, that is perfect love. He saw the consistency. His assistant, this medical student, I look at her and I say, hey, it's probably weird, huh? Probably the most weird visit you've been a part of on these rounds so far. And they go, no. This has been the best visit I've ever sat through, and I will not forget it for the rest of my life. So when you're being consistent, someone will remember it for the rest of their lives. Your consistency is attractive to a dying world who only knows inconsistency and chaos. Your consistency in his ways will save some. Media team, can you pull up 1 Timothy... 416, we're going to see if my guess is right. I said we're going to end with this story, but this is really good. I'm going to end with the word, not my words. Uh, here we go. Yep. Good, good, good. Keep a close watch on how you live and on your teaching. Stay true to what is right for the sake of your own salvation and the salvation of those hear you. It's said another way in a different translation. Watch your life and your doctrine closely. Persevere in them, for if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Now, you can't save anybody, but when you're consistent in his ways, they will see the constant God, and when they see the constant God and ask him to be in their life, when they accept the salvation that he has to offer, they will be saved. It's kind of like a hockey assist. You're passing to the one who's actually going to score. You're not the direct person saving anybody, but you're setting God up for something. You like basketball more? You're throwing an oop. God will dunk it. God will always dunk it. You being consistent in your ways is throwing an oop to the Lord who will finish the work he has started in that person. Family, I am calling for you. No, rather... Their father is calling for you to be more consistent in his ways. If we learn about his ways, but we don't walk in them, we have wasted our time. 
if we preach about his ways and we say, wow, God is so good, but we don't change how we live, we're wasting our time. Even the demons know he's good. Every participant, every attendant in hell, every person who's down there going, wow, it's kind of hot today. Every demon knows God's good. Every single one. They just won't change their lives because of it. So we had to get out of the habit of saying, God is so good. God is so good. God is so good. He's so good to me. And not change our lives. That's our old standard. That's dead. The new standard is he is so good, and so I'll be good to a fallen, broken, disgusting world. I'll be good to people who despitefully use me. I'll be good to people who hate me because he was good to a whole world who hated him. And I can operate at a greater level because I have him. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for making sense of whatever it is I just said. God, man tries to preach your word, man tries to reflect you, but Lord, I'm praying that your Holy Spirit will make sense of everything I said. And if there's anything that I didn't need to say, God, help them to strike it from the record. Help your children to know you in a greater way, God. That's what I endeavored to do. That's why we come here each week. That's why we worship, Lord. We want to know you. We want to know your name. We want to know how you operate. And then, Lord, we want to live like you. We are tired of living good according to the world standard. God, we want to be operating always in your ways. And we know that you have given us the tools to do it. You've given us your presence. You've given us your presence, Lord. Moses says, I will not go, Lord, unless you go before me. Unless you go with me, God, I will not go. We can't go in your ways without you, and I am thankful we don't have to. Lord, thank you for being with us always. Thank you for your indwelling presence. Thank you for teaching us that you are constant in your ways. Thank you for making us consistent in them as well. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray that you would radically transform this place. I pray that you would transform the people in this room, the people who are listening online, and all the people that they interact with. I pray that you would transform them as we recognize how constant you are. I love you, Lord, and I know that your people love you. So God, transform us. Make us more like you. In the mighty name of Jesus, I do pray, Lord. Amen. God bless you, family.